Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Let's have all the oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramont Plus. Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host for this episode, Brendan Sinone. I'm quite rusty at hosting, but Josh has turned over the duties to me for today, today only. We have a full bench on hand. We got Josh Newberg. Hello, Joshua. Hola. <laughs> Good. Good. Christopher Nee, who's been prodded to bring more energy. Chris, you got the energy? Energy. 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 And the first time he's been on since, he's become an official. He's always he's been like an unofficial. Got Zach Blossing. He's a full-time FSU, Knowles 24-7 employee. Zach, welcome to On the Bench. How's it feel? Does it feel different? You feel like a man now? Feels the same, but I appreciate all the praise. What, can we do a, a chant for, for Zach real quick? Oh, no. Zachary. No. Zachary. You just did energy, Chris, and you won't do Zachary after he deserves it? Zach doesn't want it. It's fine. My energy right. can come naturally. You're not going to force my hand. <laughs> okay. Uh, Byer Sinone, Chris kills me on the road trip up to Clemson this weekend. Bye. Uh, like I said, it depends how you survive that tuck and roll. When he tells you tuck and roll, just do it. All right. It's your best chance of survival when he kicks you out of the car. I think it's more a matter of like, is it Georgia, North Georgia, South Georgia, or South Carolina where the, the tuck and roll? I don't know if you get outside of the 850, to be honest with you, the way this is going. <laughs> All right. So FSU has a big game this week. Maybe you've heard of it at Clemson. The Knolls are on a three-game winning streak. Clemson struggling a little bit, but, but the Tigers enter the matchup, uh, opened as a 10-point favorite of Lines moved a little bit to nine point five points. It hasn't changed a whole lot. So, so the fighting backer Dabo Sweeney's are favored over Florida State. Guys, before we get into the matchup and kind of talk about FSU's growth and then how FSU matches up with Clemson, uh, will everyone wear a tank top if FSU beats Clemson this week for the next podcast on Monday? No, I will not deviate from my leisure ath- athletic suit of uh, my two-button polo tucked into my sweatpants. Are you going to do that for Halloween if they win? If FSU wins, we pull the go full Mike Norvell, go Magic Mike on us. Yeah, I'm sure everybody will know exactly who I am. Good. Good. So that's a no for everyone else. Don't just think that I'm some some dad looking comfortable in the neighborhood if I wore that. Not if it's yeah, but you know you're only doing it for a select handful of people that would appreciate it. It's this audience here. I don't think it's your neighborhood that would that would care. Um, Yeah, I'll I'll do it for the podcast. Okay, so before we get into the nuts and bolts of FSU versus Clemson, let's talk a little bit about the growth that Florida State has had the last, I guess, month or so here. Uh, the Seminoles haven't lost in a month. They're 3-0 and in their last three games after starting the season 0-4. It's been a pretty miraculous turnaround given where, where we were and what we were looking at after that 0-4 start. FSU in the FEI, which is one nerdy metric, is up to 42nd nationally. In the S&P Plus, they're up to 32nd nationally. They jumped up from 50th to 32nd in Bill Connolly's S&P Plus. Uh, they're 81st in the ESPN FPI, but we won't pay attention to that. So, so there's actual legitimate signs that this program is moving in the right direction. 
Chris, I'm going to throw this to you. This is a topic from J.D. Law Noel on the Knowles 24-7 message board. He asked, quote, is it possible for you to verbalize the difference of practice this week versus the weeks when we dropped four games in a row? Uh, he kind of goes on a little bit of rambling there, but he, basically in summation, uh, he's trying to ask, do we look like we're improving each week of practice? So, Chris, I'm going to throw this to you first, then we'll kind of go from there. Yes, they, they do look like they're improving. It's a matter of guys looking more confident in what they're trying to do and also being more receptive in the sense of understanding what's being asked of them. When there is a miscue or a mistake and it is corrected, it is very clear that there's a much better connection in a sense of understanding what I just did wrong and how to go do it right than we saw early in the season. It just didn't translate at times early in the season. Mike Norvell, other members of the staff have said we needed some of those experiences early in the year to be where we are now. I think that's very true, and I think it applies more to practice than even games. Practices translate to games. Biggest difference to me with practice this week, I just think there's a confidence among all parties, players, coaches, everybody involved, that they're capable of being a pretty good football team because they've gone and put it on the field three straight games over the last month, over the last four weeks, and been capable. They've cut down on penalties. That's been a big, big change. And I think practice played a role in that because of when they brought the officials in. I think that, you know, it may have not been the officials coming in that actually did it, but for whatever reason, that reinforcement of the idea has had a positive effect. Offensively, it's been molded around Jordan Travis. It's abundantly clear he's now their quarterback. He's their go-to guy. He is healthy enough to contribute at a high level. They're building the offense around them. Defensively, I think the biggest change we've seen is the secondary, the confidence. They've rode those guys' backsides quite a bit, as we referenced previously on this podcast. But Jerrion Jones, Jarvis Brownlee, guys like that, you've seen positive steps taken. And then a guy like Kevin Knowles has been an outstanding freshman. Jamie Romson has settled into that safety spot. And I think another big thing with that group is that they've settled into a consistent rotation. Now, yesterday I kind of poked Mike Norvell trying to get him to say this has been the best week of practice ever. He didn't take the bait. Um, I also texted when a uh, coach on the staff and asked just about the week of practice. And I asked, you know, has this been one of the best weeks? Because they have seemed kind of, they've seemed kind of hyper-focused and very tuned into the game. But he responded to me. He's like, truthfully, we've honestly practiced pretty well throughout the year. So I, I don't think there's some grandiose difference in this week. I think it's more so that recent results are breeding confidence, and that's in turn breeding more success. It kind of works in an avalanche uh, way in that sense. When things are going bad, they can keep going real bad if you don't kind of stymie it. FSU did a fairly good job of doing that, and now it's going in the right direction. I think we're seeing positive returns because of that. Josh, you're not there at practice, but you're certainly watching the games and you're talking to to sources and, and whatnot. Uh, what from your perspective, from your vantage point, has been the biggest difference other than winning games for Florida State in the last month? The execution of the offensive line. I think um, – Having not... offensive linemen healthy? No, I, I was going to uh -huh. say also just the ability to have a guy like Brady Scott be able to play three different positions somewhat effectively. I mean, that is, that is a difficult thing to do. Um, I was talking to Dylan Gibbons yesterday on the podcast, and he was saying how, you know, each play is drastically different for each position on the offensive line. Like any given play is just drastically different. So he said, it's one thing to go from right guard to left guard, but it's another thing to also play a whole nother position in that same game. So just the fact that these guys can execute, they, they understand the full concept of what they're trying to do. It's not just their job. Um, we're seeing a pattern We're we're also seeing a pattern of guys being able to stay healthy and play consistently 
above average, right? Not giving up a sack in multiple games and, and, and just doing the things that they're able to do in the run game. Um, and then, of course, the, the secondary. I think the secondary has gotten a lot better. I think um, they were the butt of a lot of jokes early on in the season, and they've played significantly better. And I And I think a lot of that is just due to the ability to take out the blown plays. Like if you take out those specific plays where they're just completely out of position, it makes a big difference. And I think that's the main thing that the secondary is eliminated. Yeah. To add to Josh's point of the O-line, I think Marie Smith coming back was a huge piece. I don't know if it's so much his talent is so much better than the other options. I just think there's something about him. That's a calming influence at the center position. Obviously a lot of mic calls, things of that sort before the snap. So it's kind of important to have that piece. And with the secondary, I mean, Coach Fuller and others have referenced, you know, they don't compound their mistakes like they were earlier in the season where one leads to two. Now, this week will be a big test for them in comparison to most recently, like the Syracuse game. How are they going to do with a scrambling quarterback? Against Syracuse, they got kind of gassed here, but they were willing to give that up because they didn't think Schrader could beat them in the air. So they were sort of willing to allow him to have some success. Now he had more than they would like. They can't allow that with DJ this weekend. He is a guy who's very capable on the ground with his feet. Jermaine Johnson actually made a comment yesterday referencing how effective a runner he is. So it's certainly something that's on the forefront of their minds. To Josh's point about the offensive line and and just that group being better, what that's done, and yeah, getting Brady Scott to be someone who can be a utility player, maybe on Johnson moving to guard, not having to play center, and and the depth is better. And we'll get into Dylan Gibbons and, and your scoop there later, Josh. But the offensive line, performing better has made the run game markedly better and getting Jordan Travis in the mix too. And there's a lot of things that have led to that, but a, a stat that I was digging on earlier, because Kenny Dillingham talked about when I asked him why the run game was so effective this past month, past month, FSU leads the country in yards per carry during their three game win streak with like 6.91. I think it is yards per carry. He said, Jordan Travis getting in there healthy, getting off the line continuity. And then, winning first down basically not having penalties that Chris mentioned earlier where you're in second and, and long second and 25 is huge uh, but one thing I'll add to that too they're running the ball much more effectively on first down and their four game losing streak they averaged about three yards per carry on first down uh, when they ran the ball and the win streak they're averaging seven yards per carry on first down when they run the ball and that's a huge difference when you talk about what happens on second down when you're facing second and third versus second and seven that, that, that opens up the playbook you're able to do play action off of it you're able to keep running the ball if that's what you want your hand isn't forced so that's a big part of what we're seeing is just cleaner more consistency on offenses leading to more explosiveness zach uh, from your vantage point and you're watching the games are, are you going as a student or are you just watching from tv right now i've done like a little bit of both um my dad's come up for a couple of games so i've been been to a couple with him but um yeah i mean i think the offensive line like you guys were talking about probably the biggest difference um i think you're seeing a little bit more separation with with receivers and that's helped jordan travis and you know the run game you know be um not as predictable and i think kenny dillingham was talking about like what you were saying when they get into like a second and long situation it's almost always like a rundown and you know obviously teams can sell out on the run but when they're getting you know success on first down uh running the football they're able to diversify the playbook a little bit more so i think that's why you see a lot of the offensive success um, with the lim- you know, limit of uh, offensive penalties like false starts and, and holdings and, and all those, uh, you know, things that can be prevent- prevented. And obviously we've seen a 
a stark difference between you know the the first four games and then the last three uh, in that department. To Josh, add to the point of explosive plays, FSU has 38 20-plus yard plays on the season. Of those 38, 10 have gone for touchdowns. 12 of so, those such plays came against UMass season high. <laughs> yeah, U- UMass will, will help out the stats, uh, pad the stats a little bit. FSU leads the country in long rushing plays in rushes of 20-plus yards, uh, or leads power five in that category. They're really, really good at creating explosives on the ground. Again, UMass helped with that, but they were still good at that even before UMass. Uh, going back to the penalties, Mike Norvell talked about this being like a, it's a more disciplined and, and there's more of a focus. Mackenzie Milton did too. Josh, I, I wanted to ask Mike, and I just I, I couldn't pull the trigger on it. Like Their penalties have been better since they brought the refs back to practice. Do you think that's a stupid question to ask? Like whether like just having the officials there is making a difference? It does correlate perfectly, but I just, I, I don't know. I feel like it's, it might be a dumb question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I've sat in on some of these press conferences and I've heard some of the questions that are asked. Uh, this would not, this would not fall under some of the dumber ones that are asked. No, I think it's a, I think it's legit. I mean, it's a move that they made. Um, Norvell talked about it when he, when he made it uh, to bring the officials back out. And the players even said that they welcome the officials coming back out. So I think it was a, a an important move, maybe a pivotal one. If we look back and FSU can really rally and win, you know, three, four games to end this season, maybe that was the move that, that got the ball rolling. What was the comment Kenny Dillingham made this week? They got tired of sucking or something like that in reference to why do penalties have been reduced? Essentially that they understood that mistakes like that lead to catastrophic returns on future downs and things of that sort that they're not built to play behind the chains. Essentially. Kenny was very blunt this week. I asked him what he thought of FSU leading the country in yards per carry. Chris, what was his response? That's cool. <laughs> he didn't know it. Mm, like he didn't see the tweet that I put out. He's got to make that recruiting edit, though. You believe mm. you. Yep. When they get a five-star, thank the tank once again. Uh, one more thing on practice, and then I want to get to kind of more Clemson, the recruiting impact of that game, get your guys' thoughts on that. But with practice, one thing I've noticed, and this has come as a – the body language, the energy, the intensity was really good at the start of the season and preseason before the Notre Dame game. After that Notre Dame game, it fell off a little bit. The Jacksonville State game, after that, there was a shell shock. That Tuesday or Wednesday practice after leading up to Wake Forest was one of the most like dead. Uh, just There was shell shock there. The, the energy Low wasn't. Energy. W- yes, very much so. It was just it was like guys were, were zombies at practice, and I think it was just kind of uh, they were shaken by that. Slowly but surely, that's been built back up. And, and when someone asks us about what we're seeing at practice that's different, to me, it's the body language. It's the way guys respond to coaching. When a coach says something to them, they're putting their arms around a coach or the coach putting their arms around them. It's more intense. They're listening. Um, you're attentive. Uh, there's, and then there's this back and forth dynamic that happens, too, with confidence as it builds. Uh, so not only are you responding to coaching while well, you're responding to failure, as well in practice. Kevin Knowles being a great example of that on Wednesday. You know, he, he matches up one-on-one with Keyshawn Helton in one-on-one drills, allows a, a completion. It's a perfect pass by Jordan Travis and a great catch by Keyshawn Helton uh, down the sideline. Uh, Marcus Woodson talks him up, loves him up a little bit, basically says, like, you know, good job, you're right there. The very next rep against Keyshawn Helton, Kevin Knowles goes and gets an interception. The next one they battle again in the red zone, Kevin knocks it down, Keyshawn gets him a slap on the helmet. There's a back and forth occurring, and there's guys building on reps. Are you seeing that, Chris? I think that's, to me, the one other difference is, is that yeah. there's this confidence brewing in practice. 
Yeah, and we've seen a, a great deal with the secondary more so than any other position. Um, and they're probably the group that needed it the most, them in the O-line. The other thing I'll add is practices are extremely well organized. The direction of them is clear cut from board go. Uh, there's not wasted time. For example, special teams, I'm shocked it hasn't been better because in practice, one, they do it a ton, and two, there's hyper-focused on things that are causing issues on special teams. It's not like they're just going out there and running a punt return. They're running a punt return with the idea of you're catching it here, you're working this way, we're blocking it this way, we're going to run this on a prior punt return, you know, for example, maybe pressure on the prior one, we're going to give the same look on the next one, but that one's more set up for return. This is why we're doing it. The why is constantly explained, and that's true in everything they do. And I think that's probably part of the reason the players are improving is they understand the why better. And the coaching staff is very, very consistent, and that's top-down. That's a Mike Norvell thing, and it feeds off of his three coordinators and then throughout his staff. And I think that's probably the thing that I enjoy the most in watching the practices, having that constant view of it, is that you do see it's the same day in, day out. They don't really panic. They don't. Uh, there's never a sudden shift in the way they're going about doing their business. But in moments where they need to do things differently to maybe get different results, you see a clear-cut plan and path that they're going about to try to do that. They did that with the secondary earlier in the year. With the O-line, I think it was more so getting guys healthy and getting guys cross-trained and getting guys comfortable and handling different roles and being in different groups. There's something about the five fingers fitting in the glove together that matters with the O-line more than any other position. But with other positions, it's more so you see them just kind of stacking blocks on top of each other and building it up and hoping for the return. I think special teams is one of those areas that when they do find some success two, three times in a game, it's going to be fine. Like, we're not going to be talking about it the weeks after that. It's just a matter of it hasn't happened to this point in time. It's become a point of aggravation. I think it's aggravating to them as much as it is to media and fans and the outsiders looking at that's kind of what's happened with offense and defense as well. Offense started against Syracuse to kind of figure it out a little bit. The next week, defense against UNC did, and you carry both of those over to, to UMass. So, yeah, it's just about, about the climb, about building. It's not always linear either, but it is uh, there. It's worth noting that there is progress, and special teams is next to kind of fall in line with that if, if things progress uh, with them as it has others. All right, so FSU up at Clemson this week. Uh, Clemson's going to have a, a pretty extensive list, list of visitors, including Arch Manning, a five-star quarterback there watching the game. Well, let's talk about the FSU perspective, obviously, Joshua. What, what kind of buzz is occurring right now going into this game for FSU, and what could a win, I guess, do for, for FSU on the national stage to go ahead and, and upset Clemson? I think a win would be huge because we've I've, I've said Florida State had to weather the storm, and the storm was the bad start. And now we're almost to the point where – you know, in the fourth quarter when you're up a couple touchdowns and score, stopping the other team from scoring becomes important, but the clock in the end of the game is almost more important. And here we are. We're about two months. We're, we're under two months from the early signing period. Um, you got you know the rest of this month. You got November, and then December 15th is the early signing period. So some of these guys are going to be locked up signing with FSU in about eight, seven weeks. Um, I think that's pretty exciting. So here the focus still stays on Florida state playing on the defense, but a win against Clemson really, really helps them because like I said, it's another week of the recruits on Twitter, celebrating on Instagram, posting graphics of Florida state's win. I think a, a, a win against Clemson 
dare I say, might lock up a few of these question marks, although I don't really think they're question marks, but it might lock up a few of these question marks that some of the fans have um, in, in the top of the FSU's recruiting class. So although we've seen a little bit of attrition, even to this point, it's nothing that was unexpected. I mean, Florida State still has a 13-ranked class. They have 16 commitments in 2022, and they have the ability to maybe add a couple before before December. So I think a win here puts them in the right direction. A loss doesn't – it doesn't necessarily signify um, that the class is going to fall apart or anything like that, but I think it is – it would be a blown opportunity with the momentum that FSU has. Zachary, you uh... – you may or may not be working on a piece about the significance of a win over Clemson. What that would mean for FSU recruiting. So I'll uh, ask you to do a little bit of a, a preview uh, for people to to know what they're going to be reading at Knowles twenty four seven later on. Yeah, I'm just going to highlight a few recruits that I think would be impacted the most. Um, you know, most of them are targets, but I think I also included Travis Hunter in there because I think you know as much as we want to say that he's locked in and you know everything like that, he is still taking you know visits to Georgia. But if FSU goes out and beats Clemson, um, I think, you know, whether it's NC State, the NC State game or the Miami game, those become games that recruits want to go see. They want to go see Florida State in action on a four-game four win streak, seeing if, you know, they can extend it. And I think uh, with Travis Hunter specifically, um, you know, if you're committed to a school, a zero, a zero and four start is not, you know, something you want to see. Um but they, if they beat Clemson, they completely flip the script. Um, you haven't beat them in five years. You compl- you win four in a row. And I just think, you know, we haven't seen Florida State recruit at Clemson's level in about that, you know, same time, um, five years, what, since 2016 maybe? Um, there just hasn't been, like, Florida State has not won many or, you know, I can't think of one head-to-head battle with Clemson um since Jimbo Fisher left uh Tallahassee so I just think this would be huge um you know it's it's you know almost perfect uh for Florida State to capitalize on I don't think you know a win against Clemson is gonna uh you know make them beat Clemson out for recruits right away but it sets the foundation and it um definitely shows to recruits as well as the fan base that Mike Norvell has this program in the right direction to add to Zach's point, head-to-head in 2022, I think the most significant one is probably Marvin Jones Jr. He's actually at Ohio State this weekend for his official, so I'm interested to see if he's able to catch a glimpse of the FSU game. FSU kicks at 3.30, Ohio State, Penn State, I believe it's a night game, 7.30 or 8. Um, I, and add, adding on Zach's point, I think with 22, it's more about messaging this game. I think with 23, it's more impact on individual recruits who are potentially looking at both schools. I don't I don't think that impact happens as much with 22, partly because there's not a whole lot of them. But it is about momentum. It is about messaging. It is about, hey, we are getting better. And, you know, this conference has been Clemson's for the last handful of years. And we're not doing that anymore. That game's over. FSU's not losing six times in a row to Clemson. You know, stuff like that. FSU's only lost one team in the ACC ever six times in a row, and they weren't a member of the ACC all the years that it happened, and that's Miami. So it's one of those things that's super rare for it to happen, and you want to put an end to it before it becomes, well, they never beat us, you should come play for us, would be Clemson's reverse messaging if they were to win. So, yeah. A, a platinum bohica, as uh, Jeff Cameron would say. You don't want you don't want 10, 10 in a row to start being within reach. It 
a lot of pressure starts building there. Uh, to Zach's point, yeah, that Miami game in two weeks is going to be big for officials. And I think either, I said this before, either beating Clemson this week or even NC State next week kind of helps build some of the momentum for what very well could be a primetime game, which you certainly hope it is if you have recruits there, Doak, Miami, uh, under the lights. Like it doesn't get a whole lot better than that, regardless of where the teams are at. It's still going to be a good atmosphere. So yeah, building any kind of momentum for that game would be would be sizable and significant. Um, anything else on recruiting, fellas, before we start transitioning to FSU Clemson preview directly? Uh, no, I dropped a recruiting scoop a couple of days ago, two days ago on the site. Go check that out. Kind of ties up a lot of the loose ends on some of the newer offers. And um, just a brief update on the wide receiver position. So go check that out on Knowles 24-7. All righty, Josh, I got a question for you. Everyone wants to know. Dylan Gibbons going to play this weekend? Uh, well, I wrote on Knowles 24-7 message board this morning that I spoke to a source, and there is some optimism that he will be ready to go on uh, Saturday. Um, he is not going to practice and has <laughs> – It's a live show. You may have to well, edit that what, one out on the podcast. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. This is what a source told me. I mean, yeah, you, you got a source um, and it's not coming from Chris and I, so it's, we're, yeah, we're, we're allowed to report news. What I'm told is that it's not a ligament. There's, it's a lower body issue. It's not a ligament tear. It's not anything that's going to keep him out for multiple weeks. Um, I, if I was going to make a, a, uh, I would say he's probable. Ooh, Wow. Yeah, Mike I would Norvell say between, say, I would say I would say a hair between questionable and probable. Like right in there. I think it I think there will be like a game time decision being made, but I think there is optimism right now that Gibbons will be healthy and ready to go for the game. Um and if he is not, I don't think it's something where he's out for multiple weeks. Refer back to Devontae Love Taylor last week. They kind of made a estimation in pregame whether or not he could go. That's when they made the call. I right. think it falls into a similar category. But the source I talked to was kind of optimistic that okay. <laughs> that Gibbons would be ready to go. And Gibbons has been listed as day to day, so you know somewhere between questionable and probable is probably fair. I'd swing more towards questionable, but there's a chance. There's a chance that he's going to give it a go on Saturday, and I think that's that's the takeaway here. And to to add to that, I'm told that the rest of the offensive line is healthy. You know, as healthy as as they've been all season, ready to go. FSU is getting very healthy at the right yeah. time and a pretty important stretch across the board. Um, and not everyone's a hundred percent. Some guys are, are bruised and, and dinged up a little bit, but uh, more or less the, the big time players are, are available and ready for this, this final stretch of the season. Well, Gibbons doesn't play. I, I can promise you this. I'm never going to talk to this source ever again. <laughs> Can't trust him. <laughs> I love you, Josh. Do we have any ne uh, sh shout-outs? Josh mentioned Knowles 24-7 a few times. It's a good good place to go get some FSU news. Subscribe if you want any uh, any bourbon advice. Bourbon on a Budget is a great podcast. Shout-out TJ and Ben. Uh, Big Man, Big Heart's a good podcast to listen to as well. So, you know, it's a lot a lot going on. A lot going on in, in our world and, and outside of it. Uh, I, I talked a little hoops on Double Fries No Slaw this week. Oh, snap! Um... It's funny that TJ's been trying to get you on there for a while, and I knew like the only the only route to get Chris Knee on another podcast was going to be Hoops Talk. Sure enough, creature of I'm habit. a busy man. 
Chris, you, you know lot, what? There's a lot of little league Never baseball too busy games for his first love. The two boys. Chris, let's talk real quick. Hoops, I'm going to give you what? How much time should we give him, guys? A minute? Free exhibition tonight against Mississippi College at the Tuck. So go and enjoy yourself. Uh, hopefully, Caleb Mills plays. You know how ham is. If a guy's a little banged up in an exhibition, he's going to wrap him in bubble wrap and not throw him out there on the court. But hoping to see Caleb Mills. I think it'll be fun to see Jalen Worley, Matthew Cleveland, those young guys. It's an exhibition, so they should be able to unload the bench. So we'll get to see the bigs running around out there. They're not going to be super sharp. It's going to take a little bit of time for this team to gel and get a feel for itself and just everything that comes with playing on the court together. But it has plenty of talent. This team's capable of making another run. There's a reason they were picked second in the ACC by the media at ACC tip-off. Um, yeah, go enjoy it. 7 p.m. This is the first of two exhibitions. Women play one exhibition. I believe it's a week from yesterday, so next Wednesday. So there you go. That's what you got before Hoops officially tips off. And I'll be doing a Hoops preview here today. Should be running it. By Orsonome. This comes from TJ, host of Double Fries No Slaw, and Bourbon on a Budget. Brendan makes me stop multiple times to look for Bourbon this week on the way up to Clemson. Well, Sinone yesterday pulled his phone app out and showed me a map, and it had like 19 dots on it between here and my brother's house, which is where we're going to on Friday evening. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that's going to happen. But I may bury him in a field in between a couple of those stops. So we'll see. Don't roll your eyes, Zachary, at me. I, I We went to South Georgia, and I didn't make you stop once. In that you almost ran trip. over a deer. That was the deer's fault, not mine. <laughs> Byers, Sinone, Josh, Chris kills me before we get to Atlanta. That's where the over-under is. I'm given, uh, I said, inside the 850 area code. You'll <laughs> We're not even going to make it outside the state of Florida. All right. Uh, Byers, Sinone, Josh, uh, are Byers to know, disappointed that Dabo and Norvell have been cordial to each other this week after last year's back and forth. No, because it shows That's me that Dabo is Sinone scared. Would be the way to play it. Wait, Dabo's scared? Yeah. Wow. Go on. Elaborate. Quiet Dabo equals scared Dabo. Oh. I think if Dabo was confident, yeah, he'd be he'd be rubbing it in a little bit. But I think he's 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 uh he knows he's got a lot to be nervous about heading into this one. Chris Byersonone, you're surprised that Jordan Young's dominate quote didn't materialize into anything on the message boards. I'll buy that. I, I was very pleased that it did not happen. It shows growth and maturity in the group. And on Twitter. Good job, everyone. I didn't really know who that was saying that. Whoa. Hey, hey he caught a five-yard touchdown last week. I'll have you know. You guys. You guys. Alrighty, so... Chris and I are going to get into the nuts and bolts of the Clemson preview here. Uh, Josh and Zach, you're welcome to hang around and add to it. I know it's not your cup of tea. Uh, so if you want, I'm going to give you the opportunity to go ahead and give your prediction and get out of here, or you can hang around and give a prediction at the end. What would you like to do? Uh, I got Florida State winning this one 32 to 28. So, oh, wow. All right. Can I get you out of here then? Do you want to go? Josh would really walk off. Stay. All right. No, it's fine. No, I, I want to stay. No, I want oh to stay. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay. Now I'm going to feel obligated to involve you in questions. All right. Zach, do you want to stay or do you want to give your prediction? Um, I'll stay. All right. <laughs> no class this morning, Zach? Or are you just yeah, my, I don't have class on Thursday for the rest of the semester. Well done, sir. <laughs> okay. FSU, Clemson, 9.5 point favorite. The Tigers right now. 
what's the winning streak at Death Valley for Clubs Chris? Is it 31 games? Is that uh, right? Yes, I believe it is 31. So it's the longest nationally active. Um, that's got to be up there all time as well, I would imagine. Um, no, I mean, FSU got... Yeah, I had about another 20 on top of that at one point. I think it's like in the top 10. I think it's ninth. Yeah. I think it's, it's in their notes. I think it's around ninth, but there's been several that were longer. So it's a hard place to play. What, what has FSU done to kind of prep for, uh, even with Clemson being down this year and being four and three, not not playing for a national title, still a hard place to play. What has FSU done to prep for that, Christopher? Well, let me tell you, the, the noise in the IPF this week has been obnoxiously <laughs> deafening. I think Norvell yesterday said it makes people cranky, including himself. But I mean, it's just it's obnoxious. It's you know when you go to beach and you hear waves in your ear when you're sleeping at night. That that's what this week of covering practice has been like. I just I hear like yelling it. and the screaming of the IPF in my ear in the middle of the night. It's I wake white up in noise. Cold sweats at two a.m. No, no. You, you know what's funny, Chris? Is I think that so like basically what it is. If I can describe it for our listeners and, and viewers here, it's like it's just constant fan noise, crowd noise, cheering. It's like. Just cheer like that's pumped into the IPF, but it's funny. I, I someone had to have recorded that. Like that wasn't from the real game. Like there's probably actors that were paid money to just scream and yell, and it's just dubbed over. Over. I just game. imagine it being TJ and a collection of managers locked in a room yelling their heads off. <laughs> I don't. And then I don't him think, recording it and playing it. I don't think that's how that works because yeah. there's girls in there screaming too. So so to add. To Clemson and the home streak, they've won nine of the last ten in the series at Memorial Stadium. That's a streak that began in 03, um, or a stretch that began in 03. Home team has won 14 of 18 in the series over the last 18. Also, Clemson has not lost back-to-back, and they lost last week, obviously, to Pitt. Um, That is a streak. The back-to-back goes back to, I believe, November of 2011. Back-to-back games that they've not lost. So that kind of speaks to... Yeah, Clemson's a little down and obviously wounded right now, but they don't lose a whole lot. Also, Dabo is 112 and 13 against AP unranked teams, including 80 and 90, 89 and 3 against unranked teams <clears throat> since the start of 2012. Okay. Now, so we're both so unranked. Dab- so. <laughs> Dabo's good at beating uh, lesser teams that he's favored to win. I mean, that's, that's something. So, what's been interesting, and I mean, it's a, a a tale of of two sides of the ball here very much. So for Clemson, their offense has been disastrous in many ways. It's been super disappointing. The defense really, really good. One of the best in the country, not Georgia elite, but but definitely a top five defense and and one that's going to be tough to move against. Let's start off with Clemson on offense. And when FSU's on defense, Chris, let's look at that. Uh, What stands out about what the Tigers, I was going to say are doing it, but in this case, really not doing so far this season. Well, it, it was weird. I always look at quarter scoring breakdown because, like, UNC is a team that I think traditionally is very good in the second quarter under Mac, for example. Clemson this year has scored 56 points in the opening quarter of the game. They've only scored 57 in the second and third combined. They're losing third quarter or fourth quarters 20 to 27 and obviously losing overtime 13 to 7. So it's kind of interesting. They tend to start hot and struggle more so. Now, I'm sure some of that scoring is inflated from the South Carolina State game. It's one of the few games this year where they've scored over 20 points. It's the only game they've scored over 20 points or 21. Um, speaking on the offense, the running game hasn't been very good. Uh, they're down a couple backs, one because of COVID. Will Shipley will be their main man. He's their second leading rusher. He's only played in five of seven games. Per game average, he's their best rusher on the team. On the season, they're averaging 321.3 yards per game. That's 117th in the nation. 
145.1 on the ground, 85th in the nation, 176.1 through the year, 111th in the nation. 37.9% on third downs is 85th in the nation. Now, when they get in the red zone, they do punch it in. 85.7% of the time, they scored on 21 red zone visits. 15 of those 21 are touchdowns, 11 rushing, 4 passing, 3 field goals made. They don't have a whole lot of explosive plays to show in the sense of putting points on the board, which is a departure from normal Clemson. Clemson is usually very explosive, not near so as much this year. And it kind of all begins with quarterback. Uh, you know, that's the big question mark. You pressure him, he struggles. Did you, he, did you, did you abort on saying DJ's last name? Because I was hoping you were going to say it first. Oh, you were going to make me do it? No, you're the host of the show. You have to carry <laughs> this weight. But you were looking at his PFF too, I think, after I looked at it. So kind of dive in what you took away from looking at DJ on PFF. You won't say his last name either. Damn nope. it. Uh, Berg, you want to help us out here? No? Okay. I, 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 I literally studied it on Tuesday, but it's been two days since I studied it. I know. So I'm, just, I'm not prepared for the test anymore. You're the I, came, I came into it prepared, but here's what's happening. I'm looking at the name now, and I know phonetically it's not going to work out, and I know I'm going to butcher it, and I just don't want even want to do it. You go lay. You go lay, lay, lay. I don't, I don't want this to be a point where there's just four white guys talking about a, a Samoan name that we can't pronounce. I just can't pronounce. I'm awful. We, we haven't struggled this much since the Notre Dame preview. Anyways, we'll just call him DJ for this. Uh, so, so DJ <laughs> comes in as a, a blue chip five-star quarterback, which Dabo's done a great job of loading up on those guys, but he has not been prodigious uh, by any stretch. And he, and he showed some flashes last year when, when Trevor Lawrence was, was out against Notre Dame. And, and so like, he's someone that has the physical tools. Like you watch him, I watched him against uh pit last week. And I, I rewatched that whole entire game and like, yeah, I mean, he can spin it and throws it pretty effortlessly, but there is this huge disconnect right now. And some of it is his wide receivers aren't helping him out. There's a lot of drops, uh, but also like the body language isn't great. They pulled him for Tyson Fumanchu. Uh, remember a former FSU recruit uh, that, that FSU said no to for Sam Howell. I just saw that worked out. Uh, but but basically, like the, the there's not a lot of continuity and chemistry and cohesiveness on offense right now, which is problematic. And I'm and I'm pulling up DJ's stats here he's right now. So, nine, he's one of nine for 199, 54.8 passing on the year. <clears throat> 1,102 passing yards, four passing touchdowns, five interceptions. His completion percentage ranks 99th in the nation. He's only averaging 157.4 passing yards per game on the season. He does have 67 rushing attempts, that is including sacks, for 236 rushing yards and three rushing touchdowns on the season. But, like, he just, you know, there's opportunities, I think, more to run. In it, His rushing yards have gone down in the back half of the season, which is interesting. Uh, the completion percentage against Pittsburgh was 48%. I mean, he's he's been above 60% completion percentage just once. That's a lot, technically. He's only been at 60% completion percentage once in the last four games. And that was 60 right on the dot against Syracuse. Uh, part of that is drops again. Uh, they have one, two, three, 14 drops this season uh, per PFF uh, that, that his passes have not been caught. So that doesn't help a whole lot. But even with the adjusted pass rating, those guys are catching the ball. Like his completion percentage is, is 66 range. Like it's just, there's something missing. They just don't look like they have a great, idea of what they want to be on offense they can't get into a rhythm they have talent at wide receiver i know they've had injuries up front offensive line uh will shipley being back will help them he's an explosive twitchy little running back uh, i actually didn't know he was a real player i thought he when i was playing with him in a video game recently like i thought he was just every now and then 
NCAA creates like a like a five foot nine really quick white running back. And I thought that's who like it was just a generated player. I didn't know Will Shipley was real. So I'm sorry, Will. I didn't know that about you. Um, but he's he's nice. Um but yeah, man, there's the body language is weird when you watch that team. Uh there there seems to be friction and tension. Now, the key, Chris, is you don't want to be the team that allows Clemson to get going, right? Like I think that's they have the weapons for that to happen. This isn't an untalented offense, sans the injuries up front on the offensive line. Um, that's my main thing is, is you got to make Clemson earn it and force them to be methodical and consistent and precise because that's something they haven't shown that they can do this season. Yeah, you don't want Ui on Gulele. I think nice. I, I looked Ui. at it again. I studied yeah. up. Uh, you don't want him getting it going. Yeah, it's, that's along the lines. That's not how it is in the Clemson guide, but it's pretty close. Ui on Gulele. Um, so opponents have recorded 13 sacks against them. That's 48th in the nation at 1.8 sacks per game. They do only allow 3.41 tackles for loss per game, which is an incredibly impressive stat. Ranks 12th in the nation, tops in the ACC. Uh, starting O-line's been a little banged up. Main place to look at this week is at center, um, whether it's Hunter Rayburn or Mason Trotter is kind of the thing to be figured out. A familiar name should be at right guard, Will Putnam. Speaking of Shipley, 4.9 per rush. He's led them in three of five games that he's played in with rushing. He has 54 carries for 263. Um, Kobe Pace, who is the back who actually has the most rushing yards, is out with COVID for this one. He has 327 rushing yards, 5.5 per attempt with three rushing town touchdowns, and he's led them in rushing two of the seven games. I think DJ led him in rushing the other two. Um, offensively, I, they're unimpressive vertically. I guess it's the easiest way of putting it which is so weird because it's such a departure from what Clemson has been with Lawrence, with Watson, with prior quarterbacks that they've had in recent years. Even and Tosh even with Boyd. some of what DJ did last year when he got an opportunity to play. His, his stats last year in the sense of hitting rate, big plays, things of that sort, is much better than it's been this year. Now, some of that is there's a lot more film on him. Teams are able to scheme more for him. Personnel is different. Offense is different. Also, last year he got into games a lot probably in garbage time plays a whole different role than playing from the get-go. But, yeah, offensively, they've just been kind of dreadful for what's expected of Clemson. I mean, they're one of two teams in the country that hasn't scored more than three touchdowns in a game against an FBS opponent. Arizona's the only other one. They're currently winless. So it kind of speaks to you just can't have success when you're that way on offense. But are they capable? Yeah. I mean, and God is a guy that can average about 20 yards per cut catch, per touch. Um I thought, you said, I thought you said in God. I'm like, yeah, if God's on the team, Chris, they should be pretty, pretty good, which Dabo probably believes that that they're helping him at all times. Anyway, Shipley and DJ, <laughs> both capable runners. Uh, DJ likes doing his most damage off of the center guard combination, working behind those guys, kind of working to the middle. It's not so much getting wide and getting wild. Um, Justin Ross is still pretty good football player. He's not the same as he was before the back injury, but he's still plenty talented. He's still a number one receiver. Mm-hmm. And Davis Allen's a pretty damn good tight end, truthfully one of the better ones in the league and a guy who's certainly capable if you're going to leave soft spots in the middle. So are they capable? Sure. Have they done it this year? No. So that, that's kind of the big question. FSU at times has been susceptible to being a bad defense at times. We haven't seen that in recent weeks. Hopefully that trend continues. You know, Hopefully Jermaine Johnson makes it a tough day for DJ at the office and the middle you know, keeps him in the pocket, allowing the ends to try to tee off. I, if I'm FSU – defensively, it's stop the run, which it always is. I mean, that's a simple cliche thing, but it is always stop the run. And then it's a matter of keep everything underneath. Make them work their way down the field, which is sort of the same thing Clemson's defense likes to do to teams, which is, you know, you complete the ball, we get you down to the ground. You got to keep doing it seven, eight, nine times in a drive. 
to score. And at some point we're going to ratchet it up and see if we can create a mistake against you. That's one thing that FSU's defense, and that's one of my keys here for FSU to pull off the upset. Since the second half against Louisville and Sands, just like a handful of plays against Syracuse, they've really forced teams to drive on them. And then they've been really good once those teams have gotten inside the red zone. In the past three games, Chris, FSU is ninth nationally in red zone defense. Uh, they've only allowed uh, 37% of trips inside the red zone to, to lead to points. Uh, Clemson, a few numbers here that kind of just point to how bad they are at consistently driving the ball. They're 112th nationally in points per drive with 1.65. Their average drive distance goes 26.5 yards. is 115th nationally. Now, when they hit an explosive play, so either a 10-yard run or 15-yard pass, their points per drive goes up to 3.71, which is 76 nationally. Gets you more in that slightly below average range. Makes them more competent uh, to complement a really great defense. So, yeah, I, I think that's the key. I'm with you there. you got to force them. You can't give up easy plays. Force them to drive. You mentioned that Clemson's good inside the red zone. FSU's been good on defense inside the red zone. Let the chips fall where they may then, if that becomes the case. If they're able to move the ball consistently and run the ball on you and and have balance with the passing game and, and uh, Ungale, I think I did it. DJ Ungale gets in a rhythm. Then you know, then that's what happens. We'll accept it. That that's kind of the, you're you're playing as an underdog, but you can't make it easy on them, and you can't allow that offense that has not been in a rhythm that hasn't been particularly explosive this year to wake up. Like force them to earn it. Before we move on to defense, Josh, what are you thinking right now? You're muted. What do you right think now? Right now, I'm this really, very second. Really happy that LCID is up ten percent right now. <laughs> Have you watched Clemson this year? Did you watch yeah. the pit game or the Syracuse? Yeah, game I, I watched the pit game. What was your when you watched them on offense, knowing what Clemson has been for this last mostly decade? What did you kind of say to yourself of like, man, they're they're bad or they something like that? Playmakers. Sort. I thought that they lacked. Um, like I even put in the text group, I was like, what's up with Justin Ross? And then yeah. I quickly remembered that he had been out for a year because he just didn't look explosive and he didn't look like he could win one one-on-ones against the pit defenders. Um, so I thought DJ, I don't think that he was, he's like this transcendent talent, but I also don't think that he's just God awful um, right. watching just a little bit of that pit game. You could tell that Clemson misses a lot of the talent that they lost last year. And they lack. Go ahead. I was going to ask young Zachary for his thoughts on the same question. Yeah. Well, I just, I, yeah, like, like Josh was saying, um, I I think it's more of the, the, they have playmakers, but those playmakers just aren't making plays. Like they're just dropping passes. Um, uh, It looks like the O-line's kind of missing assignments. Uh, You know, there's some wild pressures that get to, get to dj a lot um that i feel like shouldn't and then i was i was re-watching that georgia game um and they were able to move the ball decently well um you know and a lot of that was because they had uh joe and gata um who, who's a really good receiver and i think like that might be an issue for florida state like justin ross and joe and gata um obviously i I don't think he was playing the pit game, um, so he's back. And I think uh, I think he's kind of that difference maker on offense that um, that could that could uh, you know spark things. Um, but but like Josh was saying, Justin Ross doesn't look as explosive. Um, you know, he was this when he was I think it was his true freshman season in 2019. 
Um, and he was incredible. And I, I just don't see that same version of him. Maybe that's because of the injury or, um, you know, how DJ's delivering it. But I just, you know, it doesn't look the same. The thing so that does to, sort ahead, of concern Josh. me that that Clemson could do differently is get DJ out of the pocket more and run him because we've seen less athletic quarterbacks get major yards on Florida State on the ground. Um, so that could be a wrinkle that they – Why are you talking about to... Garrett Schrader like that? Garrett Schrader is a, a dynamic uh, – actually, his numbers have been really, <laughs> he was, really he great. He was a very effective runner. I, I mean, He's just built more like ball. a tank while DJ is more athletic, though. Yeah. I think he might be like one of the top Russian quarterbacks in the country statistically. Yeah. So that's I mean, he was good at that at Mississippi State too. That's something that translated with him on the transfer. To add to Zach's point on the receivers, Justin Ross catching 34 straight games. He leads the Tigers this year with 33 receptions and three receiving touchdowns, 341 receiving. And Gata only has 18 receptions, but they've gone for 352. That's 19.56 per reception, which is 15th in the country. I think third in the ACC, if I recall correctly. He also has a touchdown. I'm amazed he only has one touchdown because he is their explosive play guy as a receiver. Third best receiver and the only other one over 100 receiving yards on the season. Tight end Davis Allen, 15 receptions for 101 receiving yards. One thing that's always stood out about Clemson's offense, and I remember this in 2018. Oh, 20, sorry, it was 2017. Chris and I went up there and he said that's when Hunter Renfro was still there. They had a bread and butter of like when things got dicey for them, an intermediate pass catcher to kind of keep things moving along. When um, you need six, yeah. he got you seven. Yeah, yep. we'll get the national uh, championship game. Yeah. Amari Rogers, not to Hunter Renfro's level, but similar, a slot receiver who was more of kind of like a gadget running back, but could do various things uh, intermediate over the middle of the field. Clemson has always had great outside receivers, Sammy Watkins, Mike Williams, uh, T Higgins. And I think they still have really dynamic like field stretchers or guys who can be that. Uh, but that the mixture of someone being there to kind of, to take put pressure on the middle of the defense and open things up outside for one-on-ones with your, with your big play receivers, just it hasn't been there for Clemson this year. I think that's been, been something that's missing. Uh, and I don't know if, if, not a getting back is something that like alleviates that a little bit or helps make that better for Clemson. I don't know. Uh, but that that's been something that stood out to me when watching them is just don't have that, that bread and butter. All right. Offense uh, for Clemson done. Let's go to Clemson's defense and FSU's offense. To me, this is a more intriguing matchup because it's a strength for FSU. They do something elite, which is run the football and Clemson's defense is elite. And I think that's really where like who dictates the terms of this game so, Chris, I'll let you throw out some of your fun numbers, and we'll kind of dive into it. Clemson has allowed only two rushing touchdowns on the season. They only allowed 3.2 yards per carry. They've allowed seven passing touchdowns on the season against them, 216 passing yards per game allowed. Nine offensive touchdowns on the season. That's second in the country, I believe, to Georgia. They're also – they've not allowed an offensive touchdown in three games. Them and Georgia are the only teams to do that. Georgia's actually done that four times. Clemson's only done it three times. So it kind of speaks to that. Opponents are averaging 14.6 points per game, which is tied for third in the nation against them, while posting 336 yards per game, 37th in the nation, 216 passing, 51st in the nation, 120 rushing, 29th in the nation. Opponents are converting 37.1% of the time on third down against them. They are number one in the country in red zone defense, allowing opponents to score just 60% of the time. Opponents have entered the red zone 20 times against Clemson have only five touchdowns 25% of the time to show for it. Two rushing, three passing, seven field goals, so 12 total scores out of 20. 
All right, so they're very, very, very good on defense. Uh, Personnel-wise, let's see. I mean, I'm going to go down the board here, Chris. Uh, first off, they got Tyler Davis back against Pitt. That's going to be big for them because their defensive line and their linebackers, uh, that's really – talk about the front porch for FSU's defense, and even without Brian – was it Brees? Breesy? I know. Yeah. I, I need to learn these five-stars names. I was just – FSU hasn't been swimming in five-star pool uh, recently, whereas Clemson has. So they even without him, they have a very stout defensive front. Their linebackers are experienced and in the right, right place, so, solid guys. Uh, Xavier Thomas is a former blue-chip defensive end who dealt with some, uh, some ailments and just hadn't quite lived up to expectations, but he's really stepped up this year. 21 pressures, he leads the team there as a he pass rusher. He also leads them in sacks. Yeah, so he's he's been really good. Uh, he's been solid as a run defender too. So they just make life really difficult on you. They don't give up anything easy up front. They put a lot of pressure. Brent Venables is a a, a brilliant defensive coordinator. Kenny Dillingham talked about how their game plan changes so drastically week to week with Clemson. And that this is a testament to not just Brent Venables being smart, but the, the scheme they have, the veteran leadership they have, that they're able to always kind of mix things up from week to week. You never know quite what you're going to get. Um, so between the personnel, the coaching, it's going to be really hard to run on them. Uh, passing on them, not going to be super easy either. Uh, but, but I do think there's some vulnerabilities that you can exploit. So let's get to that, Chris. Uh, when you're looking at Clemson's defense and how it matches up with FSU's offense, uh, a lot of people are saying it's going to be a race to 20 points. As Josh prognosticated, maybe more than that. If you're FSU, how do you score enough to to get over 20 points and, and give yourself a chance here? By forcing Clemson to play down towards the line of scrimmage against you and then popping something over the top. Mm. I mean, same, Pitt's success came with, seen all season. with their quarterback being capable of making big-time throws, and he is a pocket-passing, high-level quarterback in the college game currently, but making big-time throws down the field, more such in the middle of the field, attacking safeties and things of that sort. FSU obviously doesn't have a passer who's of that level of Kenny Pickett, but they can do some things with eye candy, getting people off balance, creating confusion, creating one-on-ones, and then you got to go win those one-on-ones. And FSU used to be dreadful at winning one-on-ones. They've shown a slight improvement in recent weeks with that, including the UNC game. That trend needs to continue. Going against a better caliber of defender than you have at any point there in the three-game win streak. So we'll see. But but there will be one-on-one opportunities. Kenny Dillingham, Mike Ravel, or some of the best in the country at dialing up those one-on-ones. Uh, it's on Jordan Travis to hit them. Josh, you, you said FSU scores 32 points to win this game. How do you foresee that happening? What do you think the, the offense has to do to really do something that no one else has done against Clemson this season? They've got to they got to make the most of their opportunities. They're going to be there. We've seen them. Um, guys are getting more confident winning some one-on-ones, but we've also seen FSU's ability to scheme up some some offensive plays where they where they completely break down the defense and get a free shot down the field. Um, we know it's going to happen. We, we just got to see FSU set up the run to make it work. Um, if Jay Sean Corbin and these guys can be effective in the run, there's no doubt in my mind FSU is going to be able to throw over the top of this defense um, at least two or three times. So just making the most of opportunities and setting up the run game, I think, are the two most important things Florida State's offense needs to do against Clemson's defense on Saturday. So this, both... is, a, Go ahead, this is a huge chance for Mike Norvell, Kenny Dillingham to flex their offensive muscles. Yeah. And yep. they're creative. And from watching practice the last couple of days, they're they're super hyper focused. Um, you know, I, I know they're not going to say it's any different, but you can tell the blood flowing a little faster this week. Um, 
I, I think it's going to be interesting. I don't think it's going to be super vanilla. Now, I think they're going to try to control the clock to some degree, shorten the game, try to protect the ball. Clemson's had at least one takeaway in every game this season and in eight games, consecutive games dating back to last season. It's what they do. They have six interceptions on the season. They also tend to strip the ball quite a bit and do a good job of cleaning it up. So that's one of those things. It's going to be prevalent in the game. And FSU has done a better job recently of valuing the football. But I, I'm very interested to watch how FSU tries to create their opportunities. They, you know, they'll get in too much information or detail there. I just got to say that I, I think that Mike and Kenny feel really good about the game plan they have. They seem confident in the way the guys are operating it in practice. And then that you just see again when you're talking about body language and, and the way guys interact with each other, that's at a different, a higher level than we've seen. Would you agree with that, Chris? Like, it just there yeah. seems to be this level of, of confidence and and almost there, like energy. There's less of you know what it. you're supposed to do there, and there's more of that's how you do it. Right. A, a lot of like fist pumps or like finger point like on the ground for Norvell being like, "Yep, that's it, that's it." So they feel good about it, and you have to go out execute it with that crowd on Saturday, and then that changes things a little bit. But uh, they feel good about it. One one other aspect, and I agree totally with Josh said. With you have to hit the big opportunities. That's another key here. That's on Jordan Travis to win the. Like Chris said, when the defense creeps up, if you get the run game going a little bit, you have to take your shots over the top. That's what FSU has done under Jordan Travis when it has been successful on offense. Is, is saw like against UNC. They hit on those. But to get that going, and I think ultimately what, what could be the difference maker for FSU is your strength is the rushing attack. I don't think you're going to go three yards, four yards at a time, clouded dust, and be able to just consistently carve out space. But what you can do is occasionally get guys to the second level. Uh, whether it's with misdirection, whether it's with the read option game that Jordan's been doing a little bit better, uh, a lot better recently and been really good with. Uh, and if you set up ways, which which FSU has done, go back and look at what Mike Norvell and Kenny did against Houston. I think it was in 2019 or maybe 2018 when Ed Oliver was there and they had a really good running game going, but Houston had one of the best defensive tackles in the country. You're able to run away from him and you're basically put a lot of pressure on the safeties to make plays in space. I go back to that because I think that's where there's not a whole lot of ability to to win one-on-one in traffic with Clemson, given how good their defensive front is with the linebackers and the defensive tackles and the, the edge setters. But the safety's a little bit of a different story. RJ Mickens is one of the best safeties in the country. He's a dude who doesn't miss. He, he's second nationally among power five safeties in run defense grade per PFF. But they also have a dude named Nolan Turner, who is one of the worst safeties in the country. Uh, he has a missed tackle rate of 28.6%. Jalen Phillips, who they use three safeties a lot, has been playing a lot more. He has a missed tackle rate of 26.1%. You have to identify an area where you can find somewhat of an edge. It's getting Jay Sean Corbin, Trey Sean Ward, even Lawrence Tofilly or DJ Williams into those situations where you're one-on-one with a safety. Uh, Jimbo used to say this all the time. Sometimes you design things up where you have your running back one-on-one with someone you need a guy like Dalvin Cook to miss. You know, I don't think there's a Dalvin Cook on this roster, but you have four capable running backs. At least two have proven to be very good this season. Uh, you got to make a safety miss a couple times here to win this game, and, and I think that has potential to happen. Um, so yeah, that's that's how FSU wins this game to me. Is is you're able to create some chunk plays enough both in the run game and pass game, and then you don't let Clemson get going. Uh, the question is, do we think do we think FSU can win this game? Let's go around the horn. Josh said 32 to 20 already. No, I said uh, 32 to 28. 28. All right. I think Clemson scores more than they have all season. And I think Florida State's going to have to score more than 30 to beat them. 
get your get your predictions in here if you're watching in the comments section. Zach, uh, what do you have for the for the outcome? Um, I just I think uh, Florida State's not going to be able to get it done offensively. Um, I think Pitt is a way better team uh, on offense, um, and they were only able to put up 27 points in their last game. I'm going 24-14 Clemson. Okay. Christopher? No, real really... quick. Christopher, wait, real quick. Christopher threw a thread on Knowles 24-7 at the beginning of the week. Basically, how do you feel about this game? That was my first indication that that man feels like he's seen something in the numbers and the trend. Josh shaking the set. He knows his creature of habit. He knows what he's seen. All right, Chris. I, I'm excited I still want to pick FSU. I do. And I have all week. DJ is not blowing me away. Clemson's defense is good, but it's not the defense of a couple recent years where it would just suffocate you. I mean, they're, they're good. I'm not trying to shortchange their defense at all. I'm going to take Clemson 21-20, and that's a cop-out entirely because I really do believe FSU can win this game. But I, I also think FSU, to some degree, can be a magical elixir for Clemson to figure some things out and get it going. Clemson is full-blown backs against the wall going into this game. I mean, if they lose this, it's it's got feelings of a season that's going to maybe spin a little bit out of control. We've done this in Miami in the past. It would be lovely to do it to Clemson. But I'm going to pick Clemson by a point at home. I'm giving them the home edge by a point, 21-20. Okay. FSU's going to shock everyone. Here's my prediction. And get Dabo Sweeney fired. They're going to beat them 60 to nothing. Dr. Dabo's going to have to actually go get a doctorate degree somewhere. No. Uh, so I entered this week. Thinking like F, like I think all of us think there's at least a scenario where FSU can win. This isn't like recent years where even when the coaching staff is saying, "Oh, we think we have a really good chance," that like I we didn't believe that against Clemson in recent years. Uh, and and FSU gets housed. Going into this week, I thought FSU like maybe like there's a thirty percent chance of winning. There's a scenario where we can see it. Watching the practice this week, watching the confidence, watching the way they operated, the intensity level. I promise I wouldn't do this to myself because I've done it before where I've, I've put a lot into practice. Going into Wednesday's practice, I liked what I saw so much on Tuesday that I was like, man, this is about, I could put this a coin flip game 49% for FSU. Right now, after watching Wednesday's practice, diving into the numbers, I'm confident FSU covers. The tank is 3-0. The tank says FSU is about to be 4-0 when this jersey's done because I got FSU winning 24-21. to 21. I think they figure it out. I, I think they legitimately have the ammunition on offense to score on Clemson. I think the defense is showing more improvement, and I'm believing in this team and its growth. So, yeah. I like that we all split there. Josh is uh, muted again, which has just been really no, a struggle. I was, just, I was celebrating. I, you got me so hyped. Your explanation, like the buy-in. I'm ready to go charge out these doors and onto the field. Thank you. It's Jordan Travis's chance to prove Brendan completely right for his hyperbole preseason reports of how great of a passer he can become. I'm saying that half jokingly. So Do no, you think he get, gets his Heisman get moment this weekend? Slow your roll a bit over there, Newberg. Mute yourself again, okay? Right. I was just trying to get Brendan hyped. But no, if he can hit a few of them, they got a real chance. Because they just... can't run it all day and win. I just, as good as they are at running the ball, I just don't think against this defense they can do that. They got to hit in the passing game to some degree. 
one thing I want to see Jordan do a little less of that we saw against UMass was a little bit more dancing around than he had done. Like when he when he gets to the second level, cutting back and stuff, that ain't gonna play against Clemson. You may get you may get Finish destroyed. Yeah, you just go ahead, get the three or four yard like he did against UNC. Get down, get the yards that you get, and then live to to play another down. Um, so if um, if uh, if Jordan Travis gets injured in the game, who goes in to replace him? <laughs> ah, I think Bell made a comment on Monday. That made me think it's definitely Milton. Um, said he's fully healthy, fully ready to go, ready to contribute, all those things. So I, I would still lean Milton. But going back to the scenario be. we previously spoke of, if Milton was to struggle, I don't think they're scared of putting Chubba out there. I don't think that's a preference, but I don't think they're scared of it either. Yeah. I think as long as it's like a meaningful – I think if, if Jordan Travis were to go down in the third quarter with FSU up or down three points or whatever, it's a close game, I think we see Mackenzie Milton out there. That's kind of what I the vibe was that I got after the UMass game and talking to people. Like, I, Yeah. Yeah, I'll stop there. I, I believe now, if, if now if Clemson is up fifty-one to three, well, with five minutes to go in the fourth, I think we see Chubba. If Clemson, if this offense scores fifty, that's a tarmac. You can't, you can't give up fifty points. No, that's a tarmac. That's a, <sighs> I mean, you can't. This offense has been horrible. You can't be the elixir. Chris mentioned elixir. You cannot be the elixir. I think that's where like. My there elixir is... was like 25 points. Yours is 51. <laughs> Josh, Josh's is 50, 53 points, evidently. They're gonna, he thinks they're going to UMass. Well, Florida Just State saying, UMass. in that scenario, I don't see Mackenzie Milton trying out on the field. Okay. Uh, that's all. It's just a hypothetical. I'm not saying it's going to happen. So much went wrong if that happens that I don't even know how to comprehend to get to the point where I'll be putting Chubba Purdy out there. Time. Jesus. Yeah, I don't know how to get to the point where playing Chubba Purdy means anything at that that moment. Josh, you're really killing the momentum. We were all feeling real good, and then you brought this scenario in there, and it just... It's what I do. One thing I want to say is... It goes full circle to the question that I asked you guys right before we started taping the podcast. What was that? It's just about Adam Fuller's job security. Oh. I mean, listen, they're playing better. I can see guys are legitimately like there's a response to him and, and understanding the scheme and, and being more coordinated. So, you know, it's it's moved in a really positive of direction. I'm saying it would take I think it would take a, a 51 point loss yeah. to yeah. to re if, to get that if, going again. If you get 50 points, I think he's I think he's here to stay <laughs> to the 110th offense in the country. Then, yeah, that, that would be a problem. Uh I do want to, for like context, because half of us picked FSU to win, half picked FSU to lose in a close game. There is belief, there is buy-in in this program, and that's not just to Adam Fuller as a defensive coordinator, Kenny Dillingham, you know, understanding what the offense identity is. It's just, it's all across the board. It's getting better, and part of that is it's like, yeah, you beat up on UMass, and you found a way to win against an average Syracuse team, and then you wouldn't surprise a lot of people against an average UNC team on the road. You know, you haven't gotten a signature win yet. Maybe the UNC one counts as a signature win. That team's hard to, to figure out. But Plus, he's be been dreadful on the road. Yes. Before UNC. Uh, before, before UNC. But this would be the next step for FSU, to go ahead and that crowd, that environment, that program, even as they're struggling, uh, that would be a step forward. If you do not win, but you come out and play well, that doesn't mitigate the growth that we've seen. And I think that's just one thing I want to – to emphasize to the people listening is like this progress. We talked about this last year. It's not necessarily linear. You're allowed to have a little baby step backwards. You're going to lose games. You disagree, Josh. You're allowed to what, what not according to the fans. 
Oh, well, that's why we're provide. That's why we're paid to provide context oh, on the just, team. I was speaking for the fans. Sorry. You're a man of the people. Zach was shaking his head too. I don't like that. Don't shake your head at me. It just depends how that if they lose, it depends how, in what manner. Because like if it's like they start quitting and 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 doing that kind of stuff, then um, I don't know if you can you can still be hopeful about the growth um, that you but saw. I think, over I think quits gone from this team. I, I mean, if, like, if, I, if they I, score we've not 53 seen that points, this year, even when it went really, really bad early in the year, if it's a Josh scenario where they're giving up 50, then yeah, something horrible went wrong that we can't quite like reasonably predict. I don't think that's going to be the case, but yeah, I mean, there was a moment against Wake Forest late that game where the team didn't really look like it cared to want to be out there on defense and they kind of, they've buttoned that up and that, that has not been an issue. Um, and it hasn't been an issue for, for frankly, you know, three and a half, three and a half games now. So I, I think they've turned the corner there. A loss isn't necessarily a huge setback. I do agree with Zach. Like, yeah, if you if you get blasted, then that changes things a little bit. But going into this game, I think we're all cautiously optimistic about the growth that we've seen from Florida State and, and how that pretends to matching up against still a good Clemson team. Not a great one, but a good one. Uh, and a great defense. So that'll be that. We we good here, fellas? Anything else? All right. For Zach Blostein, Josh Newberg, Chris Nee, I'm Brendan Snow. You may not hear from me on Saturday because I've been pushed out of a rolling car. In that case, uh, it's been fun. Happy Halloween, everyone. We'll talk to you on Saturday. See you soon. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. (laughs) Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.